morning, church. Welcome to worship. Would you stand with us? Welcome. If you are joining us online, worshiping with us, we are so glad you're with us. Thank you for joining us. The Bible says in Psalm 16, verse 11, that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy and pleasures at his right hand forever. And you and I are made for that. You and I are made for that joy, to experience and to know that joy forever, to be full of it. And one of the ways in which we get to experience that, to know it, and to grow in it is when we worship together. Our joy and delight in God is fueled. It grows when we share it with others, when we witness it in others. And that's what we're going to do as we sing together. That's what you get to do at home if you're watching us from home uh, with your family or by yourself with the Lord. You can still experience the fullness of joy in the Lord. And so as we sing and prepare to sing and worship Jesus, Lord, would you bless us with your presence today? Would you bless us here? Would you bless us with your presence and bless our families that are watching and joining us at home and our members and people who are joining us? Would you bless them with your presence so that we would grow and experience your fullness of joy and pleasures in your presence? Be with us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together to the Lord. for 
Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And there were shepherds staying out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
And then the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all you people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah. He is the Lord. Traditionally, the third week of Advent has moved the church from the focus on our desperate need of the Savior to a focus on joy. This is a radical shift that highlights our response to the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. The Savior is born. Emmanuel. God is with us. He himself is our reason for joy. Not favorable or happy circumstances, not the abundance of material possessions, nor the absence of adversity and suffering in this life. We are able to be a suffering yet an always rejoicing people because, because our joy is in this broken world is never dependent on anything other than Christ himself and what he has already done for us. God has come to us. Our sin has been taken away. Eternal life has been given. We are no longer slaves and spiritual orphans. We have been given the Spirit, Holy Spirit and we are one with Christ forever. So rejoice, for all things are now yours, whether the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. He's our reason for joy.
Lord, as we sing this story, the birth of our Savior, the love of the Father, God, may it fill us with inexpressible joy. We rejoice, for you have come, Lord Jesus. Thank you. We love you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It's so great to see you here today. My name is Michael and I serve with our creative team. The Advent season is a time of expectant waiting. And as we're making plans for Christmas Eve services, I'm doing a much better job with the expecting than the waiting. Whether you're planning to join us on campus or online like my family is, you can get the details at wheatonbible.org Christmas. Some of our services have already reached capacity on campus, but all of our service times will be live streamed and we'd love to join you there. In addition, we opened up some new service times. So check back at wheatonbible.org slash Christmas to grab a seat. I'm Kyle, our pastor of Sending and Outreach. At Missions Fest just a few weeks ago, I asked you to consider giving above and beyond to support several of our missionaries on the front lines in some of the world's largest areas of humanitarian crisis. We set a goal of $40,000 to be used for food and medical supplies in areas of urgent need. And in just one week, you smashed that goal and we were able to send $150,000. My team and I had the joy of telling our partners that they would receive nearly four times what we were praying and hoping for. Take a listen to this. I just wanted to connect with you to give you an update on our Wheaton Bible Church Missions Fest giving project. 
set a goal, you know, $40,000 to help force hotspots um, around the world. Because of our congregation's generosity, they responded uh, between three and four times what we had asked for. That first Sunday, I believe we were at, what, 45,000? Mm -hmm. yeah. And then the following Sunday, we were already um, 89, 89 or so. Or so. Yeah. Wow. came in, we're almost just under $150,000. Yeah. No way. Our congregation responded way beyond what we anticipated. And, and so we're thrilled to be able to extend a grant to you in Life Agape Lebanon of $35,000. Wow. Wow. That's, that's exciting. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Wow. <laughs> really thank you. <laughs> My heart is beating. <laughs> we would like to extend uh, to Call of Hope Lebanon a grant of $25,000. Thank you so much. The funds would be in maturity used for the refugees in the Bekaa especially now for the uh, needs of the cold winter. We're just delighted uh, to have released above and beyond uh, $15,000 uh, U.S. for the work that God is doing in you and through you and Uru. That's absolutely amazing. 15,000 feeds our kids maybe about three and a half months or so. Yeah, yeah. That's a huge amount. For um, efforts in Bolivia that you guys will channel is we have $8,000, $8,000 for you guys to uh, see oh, wow. how it could be used best to free up resources that you guys might have for other things, but so we could specifically help. So, oh my Wow, God. Carlos, that is amazing. <laughs> we um, wow. were uh, speechless and are so, so grateful for uh, Wheaton Bible Church, their generosity yeah. and their partnership in the gospel. So we're, we're happy to tell you that $22,000 is going <laughs> Thank you, Crisis Wheaton Bible! <laughs> what your church has done for us in terms of uh, not just the financial support, what you've done uh, to Haider, you know, when everything around us is, is crumbling and we're actually losing partners because of the situation, you guys stepping up and saying, hey, we decided to increase our giving to you. You know, you have no idea how much that lifted us, mm -hmm. you know, and encouraged us to do more, you know, it's a, I'm sorry, <laughs> really, you know, uh, we know that God loves us, but we also, know that we have brothers and sisters who are there for us because they pray for us. They know our need. God tells them our need. So we, we love you and we appreciate all of what, what you have been doing for us. Thank you. It's amazing to see the impact this has and how much this means to our missionaries. Now our church supports more than 90 missionaries around the world every month each year. It's what enables us to be on the front lines when tragedies hit, like the explosion in Beirut. 
And while $150,000 is incredible to meet urgent needs, I want you to know that despite the challenges of this year, your generosity throughout the year has allowed us to send nearly $1.8 million out to our local and global partners. We didn't need to miss or reduce a single gift of promised support. So I want to encourage you to continue to give generously because through your generosity and our local ministries and global missionaries, God's love shines brightly through his church. Would you take a moment to consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry here? You can easily do this by giving online at wheatonbible.org give or by mailing a check to the church office. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here. pray let me add to a little of what Kyle just told us he was talking primarily today not exclusively but primarily about the global side so let me just bring you up to date on what we as a church have been able to do in part on the local side for example we have distributed during COVID $210,000 to a variety of different people to help meet their needs Needs like being able to pay utilities or rents or mortgages because they've lost jobs. Other needs. And uh, God has been so wonderful and there's so many stories there in that. In addition, we've distributed 20,000 pounds of food. We've had five blood drives. And I want you to know that in spite of COVID, God has given us favor, and this is all in accordance with the laws of the state of Illinois. We've been able to use our building throughout the week to minister to children. So for example, Monday through Friday, we continue to run our preschool. About 130 preschoolers are involved in that. And then we have moved our Pointe ministry, which was after-school tutoring and things like that, from West Chicago onto this campus. The schools have closed. And so Monday through Friday, really for a full uh, day of school, elementary-age students that have been a part of our Pointe ministry in West Chicago are now meeting here. And we're tutoring them, we're teaching them, we're exposing them to the wonder and the joy, because that's our subject today, of Jesus Christ. One of the more encouraging markers for me has been that even though uh, we're in this pandemic, we still have almost 1,800 adults that are meeting in small groups of one form or another. That's only down about 10 to 13% of where we were prior uh, to COVID. There are so many wonderful things happening here. I mean, we've just this week added two more Christmas Eve services. So we'll have two on Christmas Eve Eve, and then four now on Christmas Eve, all in order to keep people safe and secure and practice social distancing and the wearing of masks. All this to say, your prayers and your generosity have enabled the church to actively engage in meeting the needs here locally with people in our communities and around the world through the partners you've heard about today. I want to thank you for Wheaton Bible Church for stepping up 
during COVID. This has been amazing. It's been unprecedented. And now as we come into uh, and continue through the month of December, and typically churches like ours, parachurch ministries, receive about 25% of their entire annual revenue in the month of December. I want to ask you to continue to pray. I want to ask you to continue to be uh, generous, to, to bring this Christmas season a Christmas gift to Jesus that we might continue to reach more and more people for Jesus Christ and lift up his name. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, you are the great king. You have sent your son to become a man. And Jesus lived among us and died in our place for our sins that he might rescue us from our unbelief, our rebellion, our spiritual treason, and our indifference. Father, we come to you today and ask that you would forgive us for our pride, that you would forgive us for our lack of generosity during a season that's all about generosity, that you would heal our relationships, that you would calm our hearts, that you would use this church to continue to glorify you in greater and greater ways. And we thank you, and we praise you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing this song, which seems very appropriate for this time. We remember the words of the Apostle Peter when he wrote that this kind of joy, inexpressible joy in our hearts, unshakable joy, is very real. Even though we may be affected by various trials, so our joy does not deny the presence of suffering and trials in our lives, but it tells others in our own hearts that Jesus is better, that Jesus is greater, and that the hope we have is unshakable. It's a living hope. So let's cry out to Emmanuel, God with us, and rejoice whatever we are going through. Rejoice, he has come to us. Oh, come.
You may be seated. Today I want to talk to you about joy. I want to talk to you about happiness, gladness, and delight. And I'm going to use those terms synonymously just as the Bible does. Different shades, different flavors, but genuinely synonyms. And let me set it up this way. I want to go back two years. It's 2018. It's Yale University. And 1,200 students enroll. That's 25% of the undergraduate population. 1,200 students enroll in a course on happiness called Psychology in the Good Life. It's the most popular course in the history of Yale University. So popular, they could only offer it one year because of how it gutted so many other courses that were being offered. Twelve years earlier, Harvard University offered a similar course, generating a similar overwhelming response. Now, why? Why would so many of the most gifted students in our colleges here in the United States flock to a course on happiness while they're competing for the best jobs in the world, knowing that many of them will secure many of those great jobs? I love the way one student responded. When, she or see, when he or she rather said, the response we're seeing is due to the fact that we at Yale are so very tired of numbing our emotions in order to get our work done and to accomplish all the things that are on our plate. These are 19, 20, 21-year-olds. They're living in the dream. They've got accepted into the college of their dream. But uh, once they arrive at these prestigious uh, Ivy League universities, all of a sudden, over time, they wake up and apparently realize, hey, we're not as happy as we thought we would be. So they flock to a course on happiness to find out what went wrong. A few years ago, NFL star quarterback Tom Brady uh, expressed the same thing a little differently. He had just won his third Super Bowl. He would go on to win three more. And he was on 60 Minutes. And near the end of that interview, uh, Brady said, you know, a lot of people would say I'm living the dream, that I've reached the summit, that I've experienced all all there is. I've accomplished my goals. Uh, But then he went on and he said, but I say to myself over and over, there's got to be more to life than this. Because this isn't all it's cracked up to be. A woman by the name of Dr. Santos, who taught the course on happiness at Yale, said the response is due to the fact that we are beginning to discover in our culture of affluence, in our culture of comfort, our comfort, uh, our culture of ease, 
that our intuitions about happiness are completely wrong. So these modern notions of the good life, of happiness and joy, of, uh, of delight, which tend to center around accomplishment, affluence, and autonomy. According to Dr. Santos, they're like cars without engines. They're not taking us where we want to go. And today, in spite of all that we have, we live in a world that is happiness-starved, joy-starved. And when we experience those moments, they're way too temporary. And yet Christianity comes along and says, of course, our intuitions are wrong. That's a result of being sinful fallen people living in a sinful, uh, spiritually treasonous world. And Christianity announces this is why God sent his son born on Christmas. To give us our joy back, joy we lost in the fall. And so today, what we want to do, as we've been singing and we've been talking about, is we want to go back to Luke chapter 2 and look at this marvelous story of the shepherds and what they teach us. You see, if the Christmas story about Mary is a story of faith, if the Christmas story of her husband Joseph is a story of mercy and compassion, then the Luke chapter 2 story of the shepherds is a story of joy. It's a section that overflows with joy at the announcement and the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So out of respect for God's word, would you stand with me as I read, beginning in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And there were shepherds. Uh, shepherds, by the way, were social outcasts in the ancient world. So there were these social outcasts living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I, and here it is, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And what is that? Today in the town of David, that is Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, Savior, Messiah, and Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Glory to God in the highest, and on peace, and on earth rather, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph. They met Mary, they met Joseph. They found the baby who was lying in the manger and when they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. 
so we share the word of God. We share the good news of Jesus out of the overflow of our joy in Jesus. In verse 18, and all who heard it, everyone who heard it in Bethlehem and around were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. Glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You may be seated. So what I want to do is I want to look at three keys to joy, three habits of happiness. Research tells us that children laugh about 400 times a day. Adults, a mere 15. I want to suggest to you that here we find Christianity's solution to getting your laughter back to living a life of chronic joy. And so let's begin with key, or habit number one. You, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to listen closely and to see what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that you too might become part of the family of God. You see God as eternally happy. Now, this is almost counterintuitive today. You see God as the source and the author and the sustainer of all happiness because you know the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which your soul will be satisfied. Now, what is the Christmas story? If it's not this, isn't the Christmas story, according to the Bible, the story of a God of joy sending his son of joy to take on human flesh, that he might die for our joy, so that as we come to Jesus and continue coming to Jesus each and every day of our lives, we might know joy in the overflow of his joy. Jesus is the root. Joy is the fruit. And because this concept of God being eternally happy and eternally joyful is maybe foreign to us, I want to take some time to develop it. And I, I want to start in the Old Testament. Then we'll come to our passage in Luke chapter 2. Look at this verse out of Zephaniah. Sing, daughter, Zion, shout out loud. Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Daughter, Jerusalem. Now there are four Hebrew words for joy in this one verse. Sing, shout aloud, be glad and rejoice. Rejoice with all your heart. Uh, this one verse is over the top. Calling God's people, promising God's people a day when they will experience unending joy. But what's so interesting is three verses later, we have the same thing all over again. Only here, 
The description is of God's joy. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight. Now that phrase, take great delight, is really two different Hebrew words. He will rejoice with gladness over you. So he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you. Here it is again with singing. So we have four Hebrew words here, this time describing the foundation and the source of the joy that is ours now in Jesus Christ. And that is our eternal God is eternally happy. He exudes great delight. He rejoices over his creation. He rejoices over his people with unending delight, unending joy. It's all so incredible. And this is what he offers us in the advent of Jesus Christ at Christmas. Now these two verses are from the Old Testament, right? And don't we have this common misconception that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, a God of law, a God of anger? A God of condemnation, a God of justice, a God of just judgment. But here, just as a representative sample of the God of the Old Testament, we discover not so. Not only. The God of the Old Testament is an eternally happy God. That's your God today. So when we come to Luke chapter 2 and this famous story of the shepherds, it's really a story about joy. There's three moves, three different ways we see joy here. So for example, right away, right out of the gates in verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, all of Israel. Now it's not great duty. It's not news of great restrictions, of great rigidity, of great arrogance. It's good news that brings to the very core of your being great joy the moment you believe. The gospel according to Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, is a gospel of happiness. Do you see that? Do you understand this? Now, I don't know what you students, and I'm talking junior high, high, high school students, many of you who have been shut out of your schools, shut out of your sports and your activities, your band, orchestra, things like that. I don't know in your frustration what you're thinking about God right now. I don't know what some of you that are experiencing difficulty during this pandemic, job loss, uh, financial heat, uh, health issues, I, I, I don't know what some of you are thinking about God right now. But I want you to understand, and here this is just the first illustration in Luke chapter 2, that part of the glory of God is his joy. To be infinitely glorious means God is infinitely happy, joyful. 
full of gladness. And nowhere do we see this in the Bible more vividly, more dramatically illustrated than at the birth of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. Good news of great joy. The God of joy has sent his son of joy that you might live a life of joy. But let me go on. Let's keep moving through our passage. Now here we read a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the one angel uh, praising God and saying they're overflowing with joy. Uh, they're, they're worshiping, uh, they're glorifying God. And along the way, they announce that one of the consequences of joy, you living a life of joy, is you living a life of peace. Peace with God. Peace with your circumstances. Peace uh, with other people. I, I, I don't know how it is for you, but one of those moments when I experience great joy in my life, great contentment and great peace is when we are gathered as a body of Christ to worship the living God as we sing. There's something in that worship, that corporate worship of the body of Christ, like we see mirrored here with a multitude of angels. There's something about that that enables me to set aside everything else. And I'm full of joy. As I said, peace and, and contentment. And that's what we see here. Uh, worship and joy are two sides of the same coin. And finally, we see it at the end of our passage because what do the shepherds do? Well, having seen the baby, I'll come back to this, having reflected on the, the promises of God, the promises of the angel, what are they doing? They're glorifying and praising God. Their hearts are exploding with joy. No one, no one has ever seen what they have seen. Now think about it. The birth of Jesus Christ was planned before the foundation of the world. Uh, amazingly, God's response to our sinful fallen condition, to our treason, our indifference, spiritual indifference, our, our, our rebellion, our, our dishonesty, our adulteries, our, on and on and on, our pride. God's response wasn't condemnation, it wasn't judgment. It was intervention and rescue. And the shepherds got a taste of that. When Jesus took on human flesh, he accomplished what the philosophers could never conceive, what leaders could never strategize, what the artists could never imagine, ever imagine. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a barn, laid in a manger. He wasn't born into wealth and comfort and technology. He was born into poverty and dirt and surrounded by animals. All to demonstrate that he would become a servant. And he would live a perfect life that you and I can't live. He would live that life in our place. And he would die the death for our sins that we deserve to die. And he would rise from the dead 
to conquer and destroy all those things in our life, in the world, that steal our joy. Is it any wonder when we come to Luke chapter 2 and the advent of the birth of Christ that the universe is overflowing with joy? And it's landed in Bethlehem. The backwater little village of Bethlehem. Jesus has come to give you your joy back. Jesus has come to fill your life, to fill your your cup with joy. As a matter of fact, now hear me in this, Jesus has no other purpose in your life than to give you joy. Now let's go on. There's a second key, there's a second habit of happiness. And that is you are a person who listens well. I mean you listen to God well. That uh, you are growing to know Jesus and experience Jesus and taste and see Jesus because you listen to what the Bible has to say about Jesus and you are a person of the word because you know the word points you to Jesus. So we see this in two ways. Let's look at verse 15. So the angels left the shepherds and the shepherds speak to one another and they say, let's go and let's see this thing that has happened. Now notice here at the end which the Lord has told us about. Well, well, wait a minute. It was the angels that told them. And do you notice the substitution? Do you notice the change? The shepherds, in spite of being social outcasts, in spite of uh, being generally uneducated, in spite of being misfits, dirty misfits, in in a, a dirty world, if I can say it that way, The shepherds understand when the angel speaks, God speaks, and they act on it. To listen to God well is to act upon what God has revealed in his word. It's acting on God's word, but there's more. Let's go to Mary. Now, where the shepherds respond externally, let's go. This verse tells us about Mary's internal response. It says a lot about what it looks like to listen well on the inside, in our hearts, in our minds, our souls. And we see two things. First of all, Mary treasured. She treasured up all these things. Treasure is a word for prize. To treasure something is to prize it, is to value it, is to place it above everything else. And that's exactly what Mary is doing here. Now, by the way, let me just say this is especially important for you when you are in pain, when you are frustrated, when you're anxious, when things aren't working out. And so the question is, what do you treasure? What is it you value above everything else? Do you understand that regardless of how tragic and deep the pain is, You, as a follower of Christ, are never defined by your pain. The dominant reality of your life is not your pain, it's Jesus. 
and who he is. And here we're told he has come to fill your life uh, with joy. Now, I don't want to ask you to pretend uh, because there the, the Bible tells us there's a wonderful place for sorrow and grieving in our lives, and, and we are never called to live in denial. Oh, this isn't really that big a deal. No, it is a big deal. But there's a bigger deal. The dominant reality in your life is never your circumstances. It's Jesus inside of you, Jesus above you, Jesus in front of you, and, and, and behind you. Do you value Jesus above all else? And there's a, a second term here. A second verb. She pondered. Pondered means to think. It's how an engineer builds a building. It's how a coach constructs a game plan. It's how a, a lover gets to know his, his or her beloved. We think about the things that, that we value. We ponder them. Right now, we've got a little conflict in our home, a little conflict in, in our marriage, because there's a box of Christmas decorations that Rhonda just cannot find. And so she's probably spent a couple hours uh, looking in our storage unit, looking um, where she keeps uh, stuff in, in our basement, and she spent additional hours pondering and, and thinking about it because she values that box and because she knows I just tend to think that decorations just appear. And so I'm worthless in finding anything. I have trouble finding my glasses. Randa, where are my glasses? Uh, you ponder things that you value that you can't find. You, you ponder the things you treasure. Do you see the correlation? You treasure something, you, you think about it. And you think about it as you, you go through uh, your days. Just as a parent thinks about a child that he or she loves. So soaking themselves in God's word is how the shepherds, God's word revealed through the angel, it's how Mary got to joy. In spite of their poverty. In spite of the political oppression they endured under the rule of the Romans. Joy here is a quality of life. It's a, a visceral uh, orientation to life. Yes, joy is emotion. Yes, a delight and happiness are all feelings. But according to the Bible, it's a settled consequence of walking with Jesus, of loving Jesus, of treasuring and pondering Jesus, and being alive in the wonder, uh, as the angel has said, that Jesus is your Savior. your Messiah, your King, and your Lord. And that he is a good king, and he uses difficulty, and he uses good things in your life to grow you. My greatest hope for you is that you will become 
alive in the wonder of the joy of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the, the presence of Jesus. My hope is that you will become uh, alive in Jesus and know this joy because you are a person that is continually, chronically treasuring the word that points you to Jesus. And my biggest fear is that you won't do that. What does it mean to listen well? Well, between Mary and the shepherds, we discover it means you treasure, you ponder, and you act on the word of God. And over and over in the Bible, there's this correlation between joy and uh, the word of God, responding to the word of God. So, for example, as a matter of fact, Jonathan, uh, during our worship, uh, referred to this verse. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Uh, this is a verse that's all about experience. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And as a consequence, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. This verse is all about the existential experience, the existential reality of walking with Jesus. Uh, like you spend your days with a friend or a, uh, or a spouse or a family member or, or a co-worker and experience him. Jesus has come that you might experience him that you might love him, that you might believe in him, that you might overflow with these incredible emotions God offers you because of the advent of Jesus Christ. You see what verse 8 is saying? That Jesus hasn't come merely to satisfy your curiosity, but to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart for joy and peace and happiness and contentment. And what's so interesting, and because it's long, I'm not going to go there. Just two verses later, beginning in verse 10 through verse 12, Peter shifts from joy to the word. The word of God revealed through the prophets. The word of God that points us uh, to Jesus. And so what we have in 1 Peter chapter 1, when we put verse 8 together with verses 10 and 11, 12, is this correlation between joy and listening to the word, uh, responding uh, to the word. And what we learn is uh, to the extent we listen uh, is the extent we will experience joy in life. That's yours for the taking. It's a divine invitation. It's the Christian. Christmas invitation. Now let me just say, I'm going to apply this in a couple of ways. First of all, I, I want you to know that I am not, I am not scared of COVID because I'm not scared of death. I know God numbers my days, that my days are in God's hand. But I am scared to death that COVID is going to weaken us. Weaken the church of Jesus Christ because some of us will experience setbacks that we won't shake, that will continue to uh, sideline us. Others will begin to normalize isolation and reduce gathering together as the body of Christ uh, to watching an online service. 
But my biggest fear during COVID is that we will weaken in our spiritual disciplines. I mean, reading the word, meditating on the word, pressing the word into our heart, praying the word of God back to God. Because we're spending so much time in front of our screens. I worry about the toll COVID is going to take on us. I also am very concerned about the toll our culture of affluence has been taking on us over the years. And I want to quote to you from a book I've been reading this week. It's a, a wonderful book on this very subject. It's entitled Happiness. I, I, I commend it to you. It's written by Randy Alcorn. And to demonstrate that there is no correlation between our circumstances our money and happiness, Alcorn has a rather long section here when he talks about people who have won the lottery. And if money would make us happy, then these people would be rolling in happiness. But listen to a couple of these stories. William won $16 million in 1988. Not too long afterward, he was sued by his girlfriend because she wanted the money. And and his brother, a very own brother, hired a hitman to murder him. After a year, he was just a year, he was $1 million in debt, and William went to jail for shooting a gun over the head of a bill collector. He called winning the money a nightmare. And he died in 2006 after declaring bankruptcy. And there's a bunch of stories here, I'm just reading a couple. Jeffrey won $20 million in 1996. And he bought homes for his relatives. Several years later, his sister-in-law and her boyfriend murdered him to get the money. Billy Bob won $30 million in 1997. He used the money to purchase a ranch, to purchase a home, purchase cars for himself and his family. But his spending and his lending spiraled out of control. And not long after, he divorced his wife. And just 20 months, two zero, 20 months after winning the lottery, he committed suicide. Abraham, this guy's got a really cool name, Abraham Shakespeare. Won $3 million in 2006. Three years later, he went missing after spending most of the money. And a few months later, his body was found under a slab of concrete. Now, in summarizing, Alcorn, Randy Alcorn says this in his book, Happiness. People dream of winning the lottery because they're certain it will bring them lasting happiness. Uh, This is one of the plausibility structures of my this. I mean, the foundational values of our our, our culture. The more I have that, the more happy I will be. 
But once they do win the lottery and they still don't find happiness, hope vanishes. Those students at Harvard and Yale won the lottery, the collegiate lottery, but still weren't happy. And again, the research tells us there's no correlation between your money and your circumstances and your happiness. Jesus alone came to correct our wrong intuitions about happiness. And to the extent we want to be delivered from the downward pull of our circumstances, from this oppressive lie that money is the answer to all things, we will have to push back by listening to God's word. I mean treasuring it. I mean pondering it. I mean acting on it because in the word we meet Jesus. So, how do we deepen our love? What is a habit of happiness? Uh, first, it all begins to the extent we see God as joyful. And then his purpose in life is to give us joy. And, and then second, uh, to the extent we listen, I, I, I mean really listen to his word. And then finally, uh, our joy deepens when you address your fears with faith. So let's go back to the beginning of our section. And they were terrified. The shepherds were terrified. You and I would be terrified. But the angel said to them, and here it is, do not be afraid. It's the most repeated command in the entirety of the Bible. Because fear, worry, and anxiety is one of life's greatest problems even for us as followers of Christ sometimes as we follow Christ it's especially a problem because we think well, hey God it shouldn't happen like this you know what anxiety is anxiety is dark waves that repeatedly crash against your heart dragging you out to sea piece by piece. And so what are we to do? Well, there's one important word. If you look at do not be afraid, there's one important word in the Greek text that doesn't make it into our modern English translations very often. And it's not in the NIV that I'm reading from here. And it's the word look, behold. Do not be afraid, the angel says. Look, behold, I bring you great news or good news of an even greater joy. And you see what the uh, uh, angel is saying. Uh, the, uh, the way you overcome your fearing is by perceiving, by looking to Jesus, by resting in the wonder of his love. And the Christ of Christmas was born to give you your joy. Now, I know anxiety is complicated, that there's all sorts of layers to it. I'm married to a, pretty, a pediatrician, a pretty pretty pediatrician. <laughs> and we uh, so we discuss adolescence 
anxiety a, a fair amount, and I know it's very complicated and all, all sorts of factors, but you know what? Here the angel's cutting to the chase, and forgive me for simplifying the complex, but it's very biblical. And the angel is telling us the antidote to our fear is faith in Jesus. Jesus is the antidote, ultimately. Now, there's other factors. The antidote to our anxiety, the antidote to our worry. And to the extent I see Jesus as functionally present in my life, to the extent I understand how much he loves me, how much he's forgiven me, uh, that he will never let me go, that he went to infinite lengths to rescue me, and on and on, till I understand that Jesus is my Savior, my Messiah, and my Lord, then I, you know what? I'm going to address my fear by, with faith. And as a matter of fact, Paul says the, exactly the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, for this light momentary stuff, now, he's not saying, uh, I, I, I dismiss what you're going through. He's making a contrast between the trials of this life and the eternal glory that are, is ours. For the light momentary troubles, and that's what they are in light of eternity, are achieving for you an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not in what is seen, but on what is unseen. This is our problem today. We fix our eyes on what is seen. Since what is seen is only temporary, it's not going to last, but what is unseen is eternal. So yes, we fear COVID, we fear change, we fear loss, we fear pain, uh, we fear the future, we fear uh, for our families, we fear all these things. But the antidote is fixing our eyes on what is unseen. And understanding and believing with everything in us that the baby born in Bethlehem is in control of all the forces of nature, all the events of history, every single situation in our life. So we know it doesn't make any sense for us to worry about whether or not God's going to come through in our particular and personal time of need. And we address our fear with faith. The same way Hebrews tells us Moses did in the difficulty of Moses' life. He persevered, Hebrews tells us, because he saw him who was invisible. You know, I agree with others who say our biggest fear is not being in control. And there's a sense in which, because of our sinful hearts, all of us are control freaks. We want to control the future. We can't control the future, so we worry uh, about the future. But when the angel says in verse 11... This guy that's been born is no ordinary person. He's a savior, he's a messiah, he's the Lord, he's the king. What the angel is saying to the shepherds is, now, sender, surrender your control. And I wonder if you've done that. I wonder if Jesus really is your king or you act as if you're your king. When the angel says, this is who Jesus is, savior, messiah, king, he's saying, surrender control. Anoint him as the sovereign ruler and Lord of your lives. And to the extent we do that, we know that our bad things will always work out for good in Jesus Christ. And our good things will never be taken from us, and the best is yet to come. So today, I invite you to go to the source of joy and fix your eyes on Jesus. 
the one thing, the one thing he wants for you is to live a life of joy. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at the love you have shown us. We are amazed at all that you have done for us in, in Jesus Christ. And, and I pray that this good news of great joy would become the dominant reality in our life. I pray that we would be blown away each and every day of our lives, that we would get up in, in the morning excited about the joy we are going to see, the, the mercies that are new every morning. And Jesus, would you speak to us and bless us and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing joy to the world. We sing because we are a joyful people. And we will be more joyful when we sing. Amen. Let's sing together.
So, Father, by the power of the Spirit and through the work of your Son, according to the purposes of your Father, fill us with this great joy. Deliver us from hiding it. Deliver us from shoving it away. Reintroduce us each and every day of our lives to Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. Merry Christmas.